Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Uh, it's it's warm. It's warm today. I'm taking my it, little sweater off. It is so hot in here, and I don't want to turn the air conditioning on because of the noise. Obviously, yeah. So it's just, just weird that it really seems like the temperature got hot lately. It feels and it's like, not going away. It feels like summertime yes. right now. This is very exciting news for everybody who's not in Los Angeles. Yeah. So anyway, but that's what the weather is. What are we? Oh, speaking of hot, our hot patrons. Yeah, let's talk about those let's people. Let's talk about the people who subscribed to our Patreon this past week. Patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Shanti, Jen, Lisa, Leah, Kelly, Susan, Gabby, Sarah, Alessia, Jess, Stephanie, Michaela, Courtney, Vanessa, another Vanessa, Milky, Charlotte, Tammy, Kaylee, Dean, Kristen, and Amanda. Thank you. Thank all. you so much. So we are back for part three of Ava Gardner. Uh, as I said, there's so much juicy stories. I had to drag it out, and this episode does not skimp. I'm, when I'm I was glad. reading it, I was like, "Oh shit, this is chock full too." It's not like the dregs, right? The rest of the story, the final years. She went to the grocery store with her corgi. <laughs> No, there's still a lot of juicy stuff happening. Once again, the three books I used are Ava, My Story by Ava Gardner, Ava Gardner, The Secret Conversations by Peter Evans, and Ava Gardner, Love is Nothing by Lee Server. Let's get started because this is long. So where we left off, Ava attends the wedding of her friend Grace Kelly in Monaco. Frank Sinatra declines to attend because he cannot handle being near his estranged wife, who he desperately wants back. But publicly, he states he doesn't want the tabloid fave to um, distract from Grace's big day, which could be true. That is nice. So he would not be able to avoid her for long, however, as he was set to film The Pride and the Passion in Spain that same year. Now, before leaving for Spain, Hedda Hopper asked him about a possible reconciliation with Ava, to which he responded, if we do see each other, it will be a public place. Hi, how are you? Goodbye. Uh, There would have to be a complete change to reconcile, and that is very unlikely. And Frank doesn't call Ava... um, when he gets to Spain, wow. he arrives to do this movie. He has brought his new girlfriend, a starlet named Peggy Connolly, with him. And it's Ava who finally reaches out to him, calling him up and saying, You fucking idiot. You don't let me know you're in town. I have to read it in the paper. She's irritated. So Peggy is soon on a plane back to the <laughs> Uh, And Ava and Frank start hanging out, having dinner. Fucking. Uh, They have a group that they hang out with. Whenever they're together, they're constantly whispering to each other nonstop. And then one night shortly after that, Frank had people back to his hotel suite for a nightcap, but was quickly on the phone singing to Ava. Guests see Ava arrive in a fur coat and a negligee. Her and Frank quickly disappear. And yes, they are fucking again. That's a hot look. Yeah. A fur coat and a negligee. Look, that's one of the one acceptable ways to wear a fur coat, (laughs) especially back in the day. Uh, So it was kind of a one night stand, not exactly a complete reconciliation, but it definitely bolsters bolsters Frank's belief that they are not over. Uh, And the feelings were kind of mutual with Ava in a way. Um, But ultimately, there is just still this, you know, thing with her where she's like, our temperaments uh, never work together. You will never live in Europe with me. And she really wants to stay in Spain. 
Um, so they kind of start this fantasy of what their life could be like. He could live on the East Coast and I'll be in Spain, but we could get to get like, it's like they start having this fantasy of how they could work it out. But ultimately it remains a fantasy relationship that never materializes. And they kind of low key give up on this uh, dream. Now, Ava is not leaving Spain, as I mentioned. She loves it there. And she really goes all out, sort of immersing herself in the culture of her new home. She doesn't want to just be this expat living separately from the people in her community. She's obviously still a huge movie star and sort of the belle of the ball in this expat community. Um, But she really revels in her life free of the movie business and, and not living in Hollywood anymore. But then a script arrives on her doorstep in Madrid. It is a film adaptation of Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Now, as we know, she is close friends with Hemingway at this point. She's already starred in two um, adaptations of his books or stories. Uh, and she has been offered the part of Lady Brett, sort of the lead role in this uh, movie. And it's about like a hot woman living in Europe, like an expat. So it's like obviously <laughs> typecasting. She goes to Hemingway seeking his advice about the script. He is in a black and drunken mood and is disgusted by the script. He's not getting money for this. I don't know how these things work, but he doesn't, he's not getting anything for this somehow. Uh, I have no idea. So he doesn't fucking care. Uh, She considers his black, you know, that he's disgusted by it. Uh, He thinks the script is garbage. He eventually is sort of softens his assessment of the script after meeting with the screenwriter and Ava eventually takes the role. So in the spring of 1957, she is off to Mexico to film. Sadly, it was on this set that Ava began to become really self-conscious of her looks. She is only 34 at this time and she already considered herself sort of the old crone of the MGM stars. Jesus. Yeah. So she begins obsessing over the lines that now appear on her face And the fact that although she was once gorgeous from every angle, now she's kind of like seeing unflattering, candid photos taken on set. She requests that photographers are banned from set uh, because it will be easier for her to work without thinking of them trying to get these pictures. And a few leaked photos have already come out that weren't approved by her. I mean, we all all know (laughs) the tagged candid photos can be awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's that classic, somebody tweeted it once, it became like a meme where it's like some hideous photo of someone and the caption is like, this is the kind of picture my mom posts of me. And it's like, my beautiful child. And it's like the ugliest fucking picture Right, of and there's some people who are like, I love getting people in their natural state. No. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> How dare you? I don't want to be in my natural state, you fucking asshole. It is like terrorism, <laughs> those type of people to be around them where they always want to snap you when you don't know. Ugh. Like It's like, no, I'm living my life. Leave me alone so I can enjoy myself. Uh, so anyway, so even Ava Gardner uh, had that those feelings. So this sort of behavior, though, starts to become noticed by the press because sometimes they're out and about and they want to take pics and she's like, no, because she can't have approval over them. They start running stories with headlines like literally that say, is Ava Gardner getting ugly? Oh, I mean, it's just so awful. Like, obviously... The sad thing is, by Hollywood standards, she is old. Like, Lana Turner is just a few years older than her, and she's already no longer playing glamour girls. She's playing moms of teenagers. Like, it's often, like, crazy when you look at some of these movies where, like, there's, like, a movie where Lana Turner is playing this mom, and it's she's kind of more stuffy and not really uh, the glamour girl anymore. And you're like, oh, she was, like, 38? <laughs> and, like, they're already acting like she's a school mom, like an old you know, fucking old maid or something. It's it's wild. It's really fucked. It's very fucked up. So this is a time of very low self-esteem for Ava. But she was also able to finally file for divorce from Frank in Mexico City, and that is finalized in June of 1957. They were separated for like over three years, uh, but now they're finally divorced. By October, she is back in Spain. And when she's back in, sta- in Spain, she uh, goes to visit the bull ranch of a wealthy bull breeder she met through Hemingway. Now, a lot of people have gathered at this uh, event. It's almost like a celebration to check out this guy's latest bulls that have been born. She loves bullfighters. She's 
really into it. It makes her rock hard. Like she's fucking into it. This like, is like the third bull guy. Right? Yes. She's not fucking this guy, but she's still, it's like, I mean, I guess it's like a big thing in Spain. Right. Like uh, for sure. So the crowd at some point starts encouraging Ava to enter the ring on horseback. Uh, Ava is drunk on absinthe and cognac, which is a combo referred to as solisambra, sun and shadow. I'm imagining it's a very potent uh, combo. I've never had absinthe, but we all know day drinking. You're, you get drunk fast when you day drink, in my, in my experience. Day drinking is a totally different vibe. It is, yeah. It's like blackout. <laughs> I'll have like two drinks and be like falling asleep at 3 p.m. Yeah. It's crazy. You always fall asleep at 3 p.m. Yeah. And then you wake up at like... Seven and you're like, what? What part of the day? <laughs> you think it's like the AM or something? It's crazy. Yeah. So needless to say, Ava has zero experience horseback riding. When the bull comes out, the horse rears back, throwing Ava to the ground, and she lands on her cheek, which is so forceful it is equivalent to being hit in the face with a bat. <gasps> She has a massive bruise and swelling that is the size of her fist on this cheek. Now, doctors recommend she do nothing. They say just let it subside, uh, which it does, but not completely. It is still the size of a walnut after a few days. Now, Ava had already been insecure about her looks. This is adding to it. And her face is still her fortune, even if she is still, if, even if she is insecure about her looks. Frank Sinatra visits her. He sees her. He says, Oh, honey, you what? ain't making any films looking like that. Like, it is very noticeable, according to him. That's not the answer you want to hear. No. He, but he does try to hook her up with a world famous uh, plastic surgeon who specializes in face, like fixing faces. Uh, he recommends some kind of chemical injection that will shrink it. And that frightens her because she's like, will that make it worse? Like, it's scary to her. She doesn't want to fuck with her face. Um, so the press starts sniffing around and stories about her face ruining injury are surfacing. And this makes her severely depressed. She doesn't know what to do. Um, as I said, she's already struggling with this idea that she is an over-the-hill beauty at the age of 34. She refuses to leave her home. She doesn't want to be photographed. So in her mind now, her beauty is gone and so is her career. After all, she doesn't consider herself a great actress and beauty was all she uh, thinks she had. The injury um, became almost like a punctuation mark, like the formal ending of her youthful beauty in her mind. Like this was it, uh, the end. Now adding to the anxiety, she still has one more film to do with MGM, The Naked Maja, and she prays that makeup and cinematography will uh, save her uh, from looking like she has this injury. And it is almost undetectable in the film. But she is a needy mess on the set initially, and she at this point has really romanticized Frank Sinatra. He has become her knight in shining armor, someone she can always rely on, and she often plays his his records uh, while she's like in her room filming this movie, like to be close to him. She begs him to visit, but she eventually becomes distracted from all that self-pity when she gets herself a new onset romance. Her co-star in the film is an actor named Tony Franciosa. He is another high-strung Italian-American, <laughs> which is exactly her type right now. Uh, unfortunately, Tony is married to Shelley Winters. Now, they initially managed to keep this romance on the DL despite partying in Rome whenever they aren't filming. Unfortunately for them, this period coincides with the rise of Italian street photographers. Now, these are almost all young men who were basically considered on the same, same level as beggars during this period. They were snapping pics to get money to survive, and that made a desperation in their attempt to get these photos. They quickly realized their best bet is to get a picture of Amer an American movie star who at this time are frequenting an area in Rome called Via Veneto. Now, Ava has become a popular target while she is in Rome filming. On August 15th, 1958, Tony and Ava are out celebrating the Feast of Assumption. Photographers get word that Ava and Tony are drinking at a nightclub and they all descend on this site. Now, remember, this is pre-telephoto lens. The photographers had to be up close and they often had those oldie-timey huge flash bulbs like going off. So they're like in your fucking face uh, during this period. So it could be quite frightening to kind of be unexpectedly attacked by these photographers. 
Ava screams and Tony starts beating the shit out of one of the photographers. Now, the whole thing ensues, but the couple eventually get away unharmed. Someone hears about this incident and writes a story about it, eventually gets titled The Terrible Night on Via Veneto. Federico Fellini sees this article and he had been looking for an angle in which to cover Rome's cafe society. So he meets with this photographer who had been attacked. These stories will become the basis for his film, La Dolce Vita. The character played by Anita Ekberg, Ekberg is based on Ava Gardner. She is the movie star character in that movie. And this is the film where the word paparazzi comes from. The photographer in the film, uh, one of them is a news photographer. He is called paparazzo in the movie. And that uh, word is sort of based on an Italian slang word for mosquito. So that's where the word paparazzi comes from. It's based on this character's name in the film, La Dolce Vita. Isn't that interesting? They, they are mosquitoes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's perfect. I had no idea that that was based on like real events, that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Uh, and it's such a good poster. And her with the kitten on the head. Yeah. That was like, like my favorite scene. I was like, what is this? <laughs> it's incredible. I want a kitten on my head. Uh, so this incident, though, is the least of their troubles because now the couple has, has to face something even worse, the wrath of Shelley Winters. Uh-oh. Uh, so <laughs> Nobody wants that. Look, that's a movie I would watch, The Me Wrath too. of Shelley Winters. <laughs> it sounds good. So Shelley is immediately on her way to Rome. Tony, Tony doesn't mention it to Ava that Shelly's on her way. She basically shows up on set and is like, Ava! <laughs> and everyone is freaking out on set. Uh, Tony is too much of a pussy to deal with his wife and tell Ava that he's coming. Uh, so she basically arrives, sees her husband, who at this point is like very thin. He is not sleeping. He's an emotional wreck. They have a few days off on this filming. She sends him to Capri to recover then she goes to confront Ava when he's gone. Uh, in her memoir, Shelley says that here's what she told Ava that day. She says, quote, I grew up in Brooklyn with Murder Incorporated as my playmates. Ava, I swear to God, if you so much set foot on Capri while my husband is recuperating, I'll put a contract out on you. Ooh. Now, we all know uh, who Murder Inc. is. That's Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky's basically like their fucking hitman gang like the protection racket. They are Murder, Inc. Yeah, so that's who she grew up with. Like, those guys in Brooklyn. Uh, so, yeah, the affair is over at this point. I mean, I don't think it was going to last long because Ava loves to fuck her co-stars. Uh, but I love that Shelly Winters put her in her place. That's terrifying. I'd be scared of Shelly Winters. <laughs> I don't want Shelly Winters to be mad at me. I do not want Shelly Winters to be mad at me at all. Like, and that I, would make me very anxious. <laughs> and I like Shelly Winters. I do too, but she definitely seems like she'd be scary when she's mad. When like, she's on edge. Absolutely. So the affair is over. Um, they do have one more brief rendezvous in London where Ava inexplicably tells Tony that she was pregnant, which was a lie and very out of character for her. But that wasn't the only thing that ended at that time. So did her tenure with MGM. She is done at MGM, the place she has been for 18, since she was 18. And that's definitely a big uh, deal, even though she's pretty happy about it. But she's quickly booked for her first post-MGM film. It is called On the Beach, and it films in Australia. She would finally get surgery on that lump, which is successful, but a traumatizing experience for her. This is a very difficult period for Ava, and her director um, for On the Beach, Stanley Kramer, really notices the contradictory aspects of her personality. She is appealing and very funny, but also self-pitying, arrogant, and unsure of herself. She was really having issues with the Australian press, uh, at that time, they were very tabloid-centric, uh, paparazzi kind of environment going on, and Ava became their full-time target. None of this was helped when Ava sort of dissed Melbourne. Melbourne. Uh, Look, she, we got in trouble. We, it's, we, I actually looked it up to I, get the pronunciation. Melbourne. I, that's how I thought I pronounced it. Uh, well, it time, said Melbourne. But like, we got a letter. Well, I'll say Melbourne. Now, <laughs> she says, On the Beach is a story about the end of the world, and Melbourne sure is the right place to film it. So they were pissed. 
uh, at her because of that. They thought she was a snotty, ungrateful actress, and they continued to hunt her and reveled in posting the most unflattering photos they could get of her. This left her completely shaken. Now, in her attempts to feel better uh, through sex, that was also a very unsuccessful because she tried to seduce her co-star, Tony Perkins. Sorry. Uh-oh. <laughs> Look. <laughs> very nice guy. Not I love you. Great actor. <laughs> That's not his thing. It's not going to happen. Now for he you. does get married to a woman later on in life uh, after psychotherapy. But come on, we know what's going on here, uh, poor guy. So yeah, that doesn't go anywhere. Um, so the only thing that's keeping her going in Australian is these nightly, hours-long phone calls she has with Frank Sinatra, who at this point she considers the only person who wanted nothing from her and only wanted her to be happy. After he mentions a concert he recently performed in, she's like, I wish I could have seen it. He arranges a one-night singing engagement in Australia just so they could set eyes on each other. She sits in the front row. They lock eyes, and he sings all of me to her. They leave the concert and spend the the night together in Frank's suite. Now, for the rest of uh, 1959, she basically just drifts around the world, eventually ending up in Cuba. She had visited pre-revolutionary Cuba uh, before, you know, earlier, sometimes staying with er- Ernest Hemingway. He had a house outside of Havana. It is there that he had Ava as a guest. She swam in his pool without a swimsuit. And he allegedly told his staff that the water was never to be emptied. Oh, God. <laughs> That's kind of horny. <laughs> <laughs> So as most of us know, in January of 1959, Castro overthrew Batista in the Cuban Revolution, and he is now in power. So uh, she was kind of fascinated by Castro, and obviously he was a little fascinated by this movie star. She goes to Cuba, and and he basically makes her sort of his guest. He gives her a tour of the headquarters. Um, She stays at the Havana Hilton. Um, they drink Cuba Libras together on the balcony looking over the city. Uh, they have these long conversations. He's very impressed with her, um, and she loves spending time with him. She asks him if he hates Americans, and he replies, only Richard Nixon. Uh, what more occurred between them is unclear. We, none of us know. There are rumors they had an affair, but there uh-huh. is no evidence of that. Uh, and he did have a 19-year-old mistress at the time who was not happy with Ava's presence. She thought that he, uh, Ava was pursuing Castro, and um, she claimed to have intercepted notes between the two. Now, they had an argument at some point, and Gardner uh, slapped her in an elevator, and C- Cuban security pulled out his pistol to restore order during this. Uh, Castro ends his contact with Ava, uh, and she hooks up with one of his aides, and eventually leaves Cuba. So she has a little exciting time there. Now, her next stop is New York City. Uh, she stays at Frank Sinatra's unused apartment. She basically has access to any of his places of residence whenever she wants. He's really rich and famous at this time. Like, he's back. Yeah. She spends her time in New York going to jazz clubs every night. And she hooks up with Miles Davis, who, like Mickey Rooney, commented on her mouth. He said she had a beautiful mouth that was soft as a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now it's way hotter when Miles Davis yeah. says it than when Mickey Rooney when says Mickey it. When Mickey Rooney says it, you want to file a restraining order. Yes, when Miles Davis, you want to faint. You're like, okay, okay. <laughs> please. Now, in the fall of 1959, she is back in Europe. On the Beach is released, but the reviews are devastating. Her performance is praised, but several um, people. Wait, the reviews are devastating, but. Yes, I'm getting to it. Okay, but her, her performance, performance is praised, praised, but several people start saying things like she's never acted better or looked worse. <gasps> I mean, in her defense, she's not supposed to look great. This is about the aftermath of a nuclear war, but obviously it's still very hurtful. Like, yeah. uh, so love is still elusive for her. Her beauty is fading. Her movie career is fading, according to her. And she just wants to forget it all and focus on drinking and screwing in Madrid. She puts her home that is on the outside of Madrid up for sale and moves into town to be in the hustle and bustle of it all. This is the early 60s for Ava. Uh, so she's she's basically, this is a very extended lo- like lo- last weekend, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, she It is full of rejected lovers, reckless liaisons, 
There are countless drunken escapades. There is a time she is found wandering in a Madrid park drunk, wearing only her bra and panties. She is wrecking cars. She's going to wild parties. And she's kind of a dangerous person to know. Like People are like, oh, don't go out with her. You'll end up fucking dead in a park. (laughs) Like, whatever. No one's dying. But it's like, it's sort of like scary. She's very reckless and she kind of drags people into whatever she's doing. Like she always survives, but will will they? Like no one knows. She's drinking a lot and she starts becoming a little bit of a mean drunk at this point. I like to think that I was that person for somebody. <laughs> yeah. When I <laughs> yes. when I still drink. She quickly goes from famous to infamous. Uh, some of her incidents, one her former lover, Luis Miguel, the the bullfighter shows up with his new wife. She dances on a table in front of him and his new wife, pulling up her skirt to reveal full bush. That creates quite a scene. <laughs> Wait, she <laughs> Wait, she did this in front of someone's husband? Her ex-boyfriend, Luis Miguel. But he's married but now. But he's married now. So his wife's sitting there and she pull, she flashes her bush at them. She like, remember this? Yeah. Remember when you used to stick it here? Uh, she's burning bridges everywhere. Like a lot of restaurant and bars she goes to kind of ban her. Uh, she gets uh, most famously banned from the Hotel Ritz, which is like the fanciest hotel in Madrid. This happens after she drunkenly pisses in the vestibule between the lobby and the bar, <gasps> visible to all guests and employees. <laughs> Everyone sees this. They're so mad about this, they actually ban every movie star <laughs> from staying at this hotel. Famous director Billy Wilder once plead, pleads with them to let him be a guest at the hotel, promising he will not piss in the vestibule. So she even tries to disguise herself to get in, but they would keep busting her. <laughs> like, this is the level of drunk Ava is at this point. Like, she'll take her friend and, like, try to sneak in. They'll catch her and she'll be outside, be like, you bastards, and then come up with the next plan to get back in the hotel. They Ritz. know she's the pisser. Absolutely. Her behavior is so wild that once Robert Mitchin is there filming in Spain, hanging out with a mutual friend, he finds out that Ava is on her way and he says, he starts to hide. He's like, don't tell her I'm I'm here. If I get together with her, I'm done for. (laughs) Like he's scared of hanging out with Ava. Like that is how out there she is. She continues her wild ways in Spain, even getting into it with her new neighbor, ex-Argentinian dictator Juan Perón. Stop it. I'm not kidding. Now, he has been exiled from Argentina after a 1955 coup. He moves to Madrid in 1960 with his soon-to-be third wife, Isabel, and he gets an apartment above Ava Gardner. <laughs> like, in the Plaza Argentina, uh, that's, that, that's like the area they're in. So according to the book... This is messy. It's very... It gets worse. Perón had long admired her. Obviously, we know who Evita is. He liked, Evita had a very Lana Turner, like glam girl, the bleach blonde hair. He liked movie stars. Uh, obviously, she doesn't like his politics. He <laughs> very famously provided refuge for Nazi war criminals yeah. in Argentina. This guy sucks. Yeah. And she's like, I don't like this fucking guy. Fuck this guy. But she kind of, is friendly with the wife and feels bad for Isabel. So she tries to kind of keep things peaceful since they live next to each other. She often hangs out with Isabel who makes empanadas and they kind of hang out in the kitchen chatting. Isabel talks about her jealousy of the late Evita who will always be Juan's like the love of his life. But Ava ultimately, um, thought Isabel, she said, according to her, was a dumb broad (laughs) (laughs) and rolled her eyes at Isabel's belief in the occult, including the time she brought a warlock home to live in the apartment with her. A warlock? A warlock. A male witch. (laughs) I know what a warlock (laughs) is. Just in case someone else didn't know. Now, the relationship... Ship turns sour because the Perones start complaining about her all night noisy flamenco parties. On one night, Gardner's she those can get very noisy. Ava sends her corgis out to attack the Perones poodles. <laughs> she's like, "Go get them!" Now, she, according to her, she's like, "They didn't hurt them." Like I was, I just said, "Her like do something gently." Like the dogs have a, I mean, they're corgis; they're not fucking pit bulls. So Perone calls the Guardia Civil, which is like the Spanish police, military, they go to the apartment attending to arrest Ava and her guests. They're going to fucking arrest her. They back off, however, back off, however, when they find out that her guests are officers from the year, the nearby U.S. airbase. So this is like international incident if they arrest these 
uh, you know, army guys or whatever the fuck they are. Now, this whole time, Franco, who is Spain's dictator, uh, this fascist dictator, he's keeping surveillance on Ava because he's sp- suspicious of why she's in Madrid. But she is literally just a party girl. Right. She's not working for the government at all. So Ava now hates Perón and begins mocking him mercilessly. She says that he used to go out onto his balcony and do speeches to imaginary crowds of supporters. What a loser. And she and her maid would go on the balcony below him and start heckling him. (laughs) They would do like, they would be like, you're a gay slur. Like just like yelling things at him nonstop, mercilessly until he would go back inside. I mean, crazy stuff. So let's stop. We'll stop here and we'll pick up uh, after the break. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Okay, so in July of 1961, Ava gets some shocking news. Her longtime friend, Ernest Hemingway, has taken his own life. Now, this is very devastating to her. Not only are they friends, but she kind of, she got sort of validation about her brains from him. You know, she had been insecure about not being educated. So this is a very famous writer who is brilliant, obviously. And he really considered her sort of a, uh, you know, soulmate in a way. Like they had so much in common uh, personality wise. They were never romantic uh, with each other, but it was definitely this very close relationship that she got a lot out of. In mid-1962, she kind of has to work again because she was running out of money. She begins filming a movie called 55 Days at Peking. 
This is a chaotic set due to Ava's um, increasing alcoholism. She has a lot of bad behavior on set. She is once again paranoid about her acting ability, her looks, etc. Her director on this movie is Nicholas Ray, and he kind of loves this energy from Ava. Like A lot of directors like her uh, wild, sort of untamed (laughs) nature, especially if they're able to harness it. Um, he doesn't have that much luck harnessing it, even though he likes it. And he has a heart attack on set. (gasps) Uh, Ava feels partially responsible for this. And this will be the last feature film he directs. He's replaced. No, but he, uh, gets very sick and just kind of does TV and some documentaries, I think, and, and not feature films, but like lower budget kind of, uh, stuff. So once again, the reviews really focus on her looks, which is devastating. They talk about her sagging skin, her tired eyes. A lot of the men who write these reviews, because they're almost all men uh, at this point, talk about how they have lost their sex goddess of their youth. Oh, come um, on. You know, she's like 40, 40 at this time, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would love to see pictures of all of them. I'm sure they're all super hot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it's just like to write, it's like, that's you. Yeah. Like, that's on you right. if you don't, like, she's not there for you just because you jerked off to her when you were a kid. <laughs> like, right. what? I mean, it's just gross. So another sort of side effect um, of Ava's bad behavior, kind of like similar to the La Dolce Vida uh, incident, this I thought was pretty interesting. She gets cast in Blake Edwards' movie, The Pink Panther, alongside Peter Ustinov as Inspector Clouseau. Now, you might be thinking, that's not the Pink Panther that I know. Uh, so Ava becomes so demanding about her needs to have like staff, uh, all these other things she wants to, uh, have in order for her to do the film. She eventually gets fired and Ustinov quits in solidarity. And that is when they bring on, uh, Peter Sellers and a classic franchise is born. So Ava's bad behavior led to that. (laughs) So it's actually good behavior. Wow. Um, so Ava is just having a series of one night stands at this point, including with a young Steve McQueen, who I think is very hot. (laughs) So that's nice for her. People want to set her up though. Her sister tries to set her up on a date with Rock Hudson. Obviously that goes no, (laughs) once again, that goes nowhere. Grace Kelly tries to get her involved with Aristotle Onassis Ava is like, ooh, no fucking way. She doesn't care about his billions. She's not fucking that pile of shit. <laughs> she eventually has an affair with a French chef and restaurateur. But by the summer of 1963, she is back in Manhattan and in Frank's bed. Jacques Pepin? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know the guy. His name's Claude, I think. <laughs> Uh, Frank's friends notice he is on cloud nine and he's like, we're back, baby. (laughs) So, but as always, there is a fly in the ointment in this relationship. This time it is Frank's friendship with mobster Sam Giacana. He Uh is one of the most powerful crime bosses in the world. This guy's big. Uh, he, Ava thinks he's a psychopath. (laughs) And Sam thinks she's a crazy bitch. Uh So they don't like each other. But the tension between those two starts to affect the relationship between Frank and Ava. They start fighting again. I mean, they probably would have anyway. It's not Sam's fault necessarily. Um, But she starts humiliating Frank in front of Sam, and he doesn't like it. A big incident happens at Jilly's restaurant. This is a big Italian restaurant that that Frank loves going to. They are ignoring Ava, talking about business. I don't know what they're talking about. Italian stuff. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't like it. Where's Jilly? It's like Midtown Manhattan back in the day. Sounds good. There was another place he used to go to, I think, called Patsy's. It was Mm. like another Italian. So this is a classic Italian restaurant. There was a restaurant, this Italian restaurant I always went to. I don't know if it still exists in Philadelphia when I was a kid. When I go visit my grandma, it's called Dante and Luigi's. Ooh. It was fucking good. Look, I like those places with the red checked cloth, yeah. the, the Chianti bottle candles. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like that whole thing. <laughs> uh, so she gets up eventually and starts flirting with some guy at the bar. This poor guy. <laughs> he probably got the scare. He probably shit his pants. <laughs> 
when he realized that Sam and Frank were sitting at the table and he's flirting with her. Frank uh, tries to get her in line. She throws a drink in Frank's face and Sam just starts belly laughing at Frank. So this leads to a huge fight between Frank and Ava and she packs up and goes back to LA. She is eventually cast in The Night of the Iguana. This is based on a Tennessee Williams play, and it's going to be directed by her old friend, John Houston. It co-stars Richard Burton and Deborah Carr, uh, and the role was originally played by Betty Davis on Broadway, so Ava is intimidated by the comparison, um, but it really is a perfect part for her, and John Houston is able to convince her to do it. On September 21st, 1964, the cast and crew arrive in Mexico City to begin filming, A day later, the world's most famous adulterers arrive. Richard Burton and his new lady, Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Uh, So they, Ava had already been like, I'm going to (laughs) fuck Richard Burton. She had her plans. You know how you do that kind of stuff? Like, who am I going to fuck here? Richard Burton. Yeah. She's like, she had her sights set on him. They already had a little lusty drunken chemistry between them. Um, Elizabeth Taylor keeps him close by her side. The Burton and Taylor affair at this time was the biggest tabloid story going. And the only thing that could have made it even more explosive would be if Ava broke it up. Luckily for Liz, Ava decided it was best not to pursue it. And she really saw her and Elizabeth as two peas in a pod, femme fatales who had both survived the MGM studio system and were both completely unable to exist in normal life. Like they both had a lot in common, but that didn't mean Richard Burton and Ava didn't become great pals because Ava was one of the only people who could keep up with Richard Burton in the drinking department. He is a famously... (laughs) hard drinker yeah, and uh, she could keep up with him. Uh, Ava, she busied herself fucking young himbos. <laughs> she, she had her own things going on. She was fucking bellhops. She picked up a beach bum on the beach and fucked him. In Venice? Uh, no, this is in Mexico. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> in Venice. Uh, at some point, Richard Burton is like, you know, don't fuck that guy because he bleaches his hair. That's trouble. <laughs> uh, so all this partying and fucking is happening. There is a movie being made at the same time. And John Houston is like very low key about it all. He managed to somehow to work it out, work around their neuroses and their alcoholism and gets a film out of this. Um, there are rumors that he is fucking Ava, but his girlfriend at the time, Zoe Solis is there with their baby, Danny Houston, who becomes a big or an actor. Uh, he is very protective of Ava though. He also sees her as a kindred spirit And he also thinks she is sort of a tragic figure. She is very human and beautiful, according to him, but her beauty is a curse. He tells Deborah Kerr that he feels like she has paid a real price to be this beautiful. So as if things weren't chaotic chaotic enough on set with all of the antics of the, the two leads, nearly the whole cast and crew get amoebic dysentery. Oh, no. The Aztec two-step. What? Diarrhea. (laughs) They call it the Aztec two-step. I guess you're like dancing around trying not to shit yourself. (laughs) That's fucked up. Yeah. The set is kind of cursed. So the whole set got diarrhea? Everyone gets diarrhea. That's so embarrassing. Yeah. Even the hot people. (laughs) Even hot people people get diarrhea. It's, It's the thing that bonds us all. Everyone. So... Next up, as far as the curse that goes, they have these bungalows that a lot of the crew are staying in. They collapse, almost killing some of the crew members, just bad construction. Um, After they sort of recover from that awful incident, November 22nd, they are informed on set that President Kennedy has been assassinated. So everyone is completely devastated by this traumatic news. And in December, while still um, filming, she gets news that Frank's 19-year-old son, Frank Jr., has been kidnapped from his Lake Tahoe hotel room. She is very upset by this. She was close to his kids, uh, and she admits to everyone around her at this point that she's still in love with Frank, and it's very painful to love someone so much that you can never be with, because their relationship is just bad uh, when they're together. Luckily, Ava has another project to take her mind off of Frank. Houston will be directing a movie soon called The Bible, 
based on the Bible. Is it really? <laughs> Have you heard of it? <laughs> Wait, is this a real movie? Yes. It wasn't really based on the Bible? Absolutely. He wants <laughs> Ava in it. <laughs> How long is this movie going to be? <laughs> I mean, I think they focus on a few stories. It's going to be a mini series. Now, uh, he says he wants her in every movie he does going forward. Like, he loves working with her. Uh, Ava will play Sarah, the wife and half sister of Abraham. <laughs> Very horny and early flowers in the attic. <laughs> uh, and that will be played, and that character will be played by George C. Scott. Who plays Rachel? I don't know. I didn't look that up. I don't even know if she's in this one. Like, it might just focus on Abraham. I don't fucking, I never uh, saw I, it. I don't know anything about I the Bible. I don't know anything. About, I've never read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> cannot speak to it. Now, Ava was off to Rome for filming. If you're a huge George C. Scott fan, you're about to get a rude awakening because this guy is not great right now, uh, at least at this time. So this story is what I actually came across that made me to decide to do this episode on Ava because it was so awful. I had never heard it. And I was like, that's a crime. <laughs> like, it's bad. So, so George, okay. George so, C. Scott is playing Abraham. Yes. And she's playing Sarah. His wife. So... Yeah, so this is pretty shocking stuff. Uh, if you're sensitive, take a Valium if you can. I don't know. <laughs> so Ava and George meet to discuss the script with Houston, and they continue discussion afterwards during dinner. George is married at the time to actress Colleen Dewhurst, and she is in Rome with him, but kind of across town, and she has a young baby at the time. I don't know if it's Campbell Scott. They have two kids together. I didn't, I didn't look at the dates. Um, they very... Ava and George very quickly become inseparable. However, Ava, once again, um, she kind of finds George to be this mentor. Like he is younger than her, but he is also very educated. He talks to her about poetry and politics and literature. He also falls in love with her. He is ardently in love with her. And Ava just can't resist this flattery at the time, even though anyone who knows these two knows this is not going to end well. Now, George had famously had a drinking problem. He was not a, a fun drunk. He is an awful drunk. And uh, his drunk, drunk drunkenness will bring on darkness, paranoia, violent jealousy, rage, all of the bad stuff. Uh, he had actually cleaned himself up and was on the wagon when he meets Ava. Uh, he had not been drinking for years at that point. But when you're around Ava Gardner, you're going to drink. Right. She's a hard drinker, and he uh, quickly is back on the sauce. Uh, as we all know, Ava is no angel when she drinks as well at this point. So this quickly devolves into a very volatile relationship. Screaming, drunken fights are happening. Things are thrown. The whole deal, uh, that's what this starts becoming. One night, things escalate in a very frightening way. After Frank Sinatra came up in a conversation, George exploded with rage. It was too much even for Ava to withstand, and she told him she was getting the fuck out of there. As she headed to the door, George grabbed her and punched her in the side of the head so hard that she spun around and fell to the floor. He wasn't done, however. He then held her down and punched her over and over and over again. She would later say that she felt her skull ringing and blood was coming on her tongue. When he finally let go of her, she stumbled off for a second. I'm sorry. He stumbled off for a second. She managed to crawl out the door. The next morning, he laid in wait for her to come out of her room and seeing her bruised, red, and swollen face, he begged for her forgiveness, saying he was so ashamed, etc. And Ava said, fuck you, you bastard. Now, word quickly spread on set what had happened, and Ava refused to call the police. John Houston had to stop Peter O'Toole from kicking George's ass. Like, everyone was fucking pissed. Ultimately, Ava decided to continue filming since she didn't want to leave John Houston in the lurch. Like she felt a lot of loyalty to him, loyalty to him, so she wanted to finish. And she found some solace in fucking others on set and making sure George knew. Not the best choice, but that's what she did. Now George is on his best behavior at this point, and kind of going forward, Ava finally forgives him, and eventually they are fucking again. George is begging her to marry him, but. The, the drinking escalates once again and demons start coming out again. He is truly a Jekyll and Hyde type transformation when he drinks. He starts slapping, strangling, punching her again. This regularly blows up. And one night, 
John Houston actually has to stop him when he runs into him at a bar looking for Ava, screaming that he was going to fucking kill that bitch. That's how bad it got. He is eventually put into a hospital and pumped full of tranquilizers to calm him down. Like that is the level, like he gets fucking rageful. So it's put upon Ava to lure him back to set. At this point, they like can't, this is like one of those massive, big budget spectacle movies where the cast is like 30 movie stars. Uh, so they need him to get back on set. She She's sent in to fucking convince him to come back. Uh, she does it because obviously she is devoted to um, John Houston. And, and George agrees because he's devoted to her when he isn't trying to fucking murder her. So sealing the deal on his good behavior... Uh, three mafiosa guys pick him up one day and take him for a ride. He never speaks about what happened on that ride, but the rumors were that either Frank Sinatra sent them to deliver a message to George to fucking lay off Ava or that John Houston hired people to play mafiosa guys for the same purpose, basically, to fucking get him in line. Nevertheless, the affair, the drinking, and the violence continue. She goes back with him, and they eventually fim- uh, finish filming this movie. Now, after she is done filming, she goes to England, and she shows up. A friend meets her. She shows up with her arm in a sling. She says, I got into a fight with George. He had broken her collarbone and dislocated her shoulder, and she had a bald patch on her head where he had pulled her hair out. <gasps> The next day, the friend comes over for like a small gathering she has at her place in London. And she's shocked because George shows up at the party. (laughs) She's like, that's the guy who just told me beat the shit out of you the other day. So she can't believe George is there. Like, hey, I'm here. It's not even like a weird thing. So he continued to beat her up even after... The Bible? The chat with the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So... He shows up at the party. His face is all red and burned seeming. And so this friend asked Ava about it. And Ava says that George was so drunk and angry a few nights before while they were fighting, she locked him out of a room. He actually threw himself into the fireplace, bashing his face onto hot coals in rage. What a maniac. Then she takes her friend on a tour of the bedroom. She's like, and there's the hole George made putting his head through a closet door when she wouldn't let him in. So like... Kind of like he gets like he snaps like yeah. it's like next level. This affair ha- uh, goes into 1965. They go to see Othello together in London, which is quite an interesting choice if you know anything about the play, which is about sexual jealousy among other things. Spoiler alert: this jealousy leads to Othello killing his wife. I mean, <laughs> kind of like fucked up, uh, you know, whatever. They go out afterwards, have some drinks, and immediately get home, and George begins beating Ava once again. She finally has him arrested. He is taken to jail and charged with disturbing the peace. (laughs) Like That's the charge he gets for beating the shit out of her. Uh, This time, she is finally done, according to her. George wasn't done, though, and he keeps trying to get her back, saying he's going to Mexico for a quickie divorce. They can finally get married. But Ava kind of ignores him, and it it finally seems like his obsession uh, dies down. But in late 1965, while she is staying in a bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel, she awakes to the sound of a window shattering. Within seconds, George is standing over her, heaving with rage, his sweat reeking of booze, and he's actually holding a bottle of booze, screaming at her that he loves her before smashing the bottle and holding the jagged bottleneck to her throat, saying he'd rather see them both dead than lose her. She's able to talk him down, eventually calling a doctor who comes over and gives him a powerful sedative. He wakes up at some point and basically runs into the night, like runs out of the room and into the night. Ava didn't know. I don't think they see each other again after that, but she's just left shaken thinking like, this is love. Like I end up with broken collarbones, drunken fights, uh, disappearing into the night. Like that's her experience with love. Uh, it's always sort of negative in the end. And it's just very um, upsetting for her, obviously. Now, around this same time, July 19th, Ava gets news that further devastates her. Frank's assistant calls her to tell her he will be marrying Mia Farrow and wanted her to hear it before the news broke. She starts crying that night and is unable to stop. She's actually checked into a hospital for exhaustion. It's so upsetting to her. They find a fibroid tumor uh, while she's there. 
Um, obviously, we remember if we remember her mother died of uter- uterine cancer, so this freaks her out, and she gets a hysterectomy. Uh, so she's really at a crossroads again right now. Despite her passion for Madrid, she decides to leave Spain. <laughs> the main reason she decides to do this is. Uh, kind of unclear, but there is one thing. She's being harassed by Franco at this point. Um, they really don't care for this woman living this independent and free lifestyle. They don't like it. Like it's a very uh, strict country. Like they have a lot of uh, old-fashioned views of how women should act, and she doesn't fit that. She's also facing a million-dollar fine because she insulted a priest. Well, <laughs> I looked everywhere to find this say? story because I was like, I would love to know what she said to this priest. Apparently, according to her, he came to her apartment and insulted her first. So she was only retaliating. Yeah. I'm imagining it was probably like you, you know, whore or whatever, like something like that or calling her, um, you know, whatever. Uh, so, yeah. So she's like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not paying this fine. Uh, fuck this shit. She decides to make London her home base, and she leases a flat there. By 1968, she is a permanent resident of London, and she's pretty much not working right now. Most famously, I'm sorry, most famously, most famously, <laughs> she gets she gets she doesn't get the role of Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate. She was up for that initially. And there's some interesting stories about why that did not work out. There may have been a seduction gone awry between Ava and Mike Nichols. They both have different versions of the story. Um, But regardless of that, uh, it might just be Ava's insecurity that stopped her from truly pursuing the role. And obviously it goes to Anne Bancroft, who gives an iconic performance. Now, Ava really tries to sort of reinvent herself in London, even attempting to get off booze unsuccessfully, but continuously trying to do that again and again. She works with Roddy McDowell on a film in London, but pretty much lay lo- lays low. And her lifestyle does really calm down. She becomes more peaceful. She wants to live kind of a quieter life at this point. In 1971, John Huston calls her on her once again to do a movie, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean with Paul Newman. After that, she is back in London and once again laying low, kind of socializing. Uh, She also finds a devoted assistant housekeeper named Carmen who will be her devoted employee uh, for the rest of her life. Now, she is financially stable at this point. She has made some good investments, uh, and she continues taking random acting roles if they are offered to her, and kind of like she wants things that kind of give her something she wants. Like she does a movie called Earthquake. This is a pretty famous disaster movie at the time in the 70s. There's a lot of these type of movies. Yeah, The Towering Inferno. Yeah, and they all have like those casts again where it's like 10 movie stars uh, in various roles. Shelley Bas- Winters I'm is in one. Shelley, <laughs> Famously. Shelley Winters giving an iconic performance in... Is she in the Poseidon yes. Adventure? Because she is a famous... She's a like the number one underwater swimmer. But I don't know if it's like a parody I saw, but I, I had this memory of her like holding her nose and diving underwater, but maybe that's just like a parody I saw. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, anyways, that move, I like these movies a lot. Me They're too. very fun. Uh, so she kind of takes it because they, they're setting her up in a luxury hotel suite in LA for a few months. It's like, okay, I'll do it. Like right. I get that kind of, that's like the ideal way to take a job. Now, although she is not out about out and about socializing when she's filming this movie in LA, she does agree to attend MGM's 50th anniversary celebration that ends up being a very bittersweet reminder of what was but is no more. And not just for Ava, but for many of the old MGM stars who attend this event. I can see that being very grim. <laughs> like at the same time, uh, it's a celebration, but it's kind of like, oh yeah, we used to have it all. Uh, <laughs> in July of 1976, Sinatra is in the news again because he marries Barbara, a former Las Vegas showgirl and ex-wife of Zeppo Marx. It didn't sting nearly as much as the Mia Farrow wedding did uh, previously, but at this point, Ava and Frank had a well-established friendship, and it was really nothing more at this point. They were just very close and relied on each other, but eventually Barbara comes between them. She doesn't like this close friendship. Um, She says whatever they had together was too much now that he had a wife, and the phone calls and letters become more and more infrequent between Frank and Ava. He also had a marble statue that was made of Ava for the Barefoot Contessa. He purchased that from the studio after filming and put it in his garden, and Barbara had it removed. So she's really cutting uh, ties between them. Around this time, she loses another old friend, Howard Hughes, who dies in 1976. 
Just a horrific story. He is down to 94 pounds at the end, just completely lost in insanity and addiction. They find him covered in open wounds. He has shards of broken needles all throughout his skin. Uh, And it's just, I remember seeing some like weird, not like uh, Unsolved Mysteries, but a show like that about Howard Hughes as a kid. And they had drawings because I don't think there's pictures of him at the end. (laughs) But it was like the most horrifying thing I had ever seen because it's like the world's richest man. (laughs) It was just like, oh my God, like what is this? We'll do an episode on him. Yeah, that's like a ton parter. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling. Every time I think about doing an episode about Howard Hughes, I break out in hives just thinking about how much research <laughs> goes Because into that. it's so much. Because <laughs> he lived a long life and a lot happened. I mean, just the stories I've told, that's yeah. just like a fraction of it. And yeah. he filled up, you know, a few 20 minutes in this episode, these well, episodes. One like, of these days we'll do Hughes Month. Yeah. And we'll tackle it. Yeah. So yeah, just a just an absolutely uh, awful ending. She continues living her quiet life in London though. She has her corgis. Uh so yeah, I mean she's she's doing okay. She has a big sixtieth birthday party saying that it was easier than fifty for her, because fifty was the one she said that you knew you really knew there was no turning <laughs> back. Sixty though was fine. In the fall of nineteen eighty six, she begins having a bad cough and fears the worst. But it wasn't lung cancer. She had pneumonia. She travels back to the States and goes to St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica uh, because she trusts American doctors more than the ones in UK. Frank sends her flowers and calls her daily to check in on her. While she's hospitalized, Ava suffers a stroke, which paralyzes half of her face. She is released with strict strict instructions to stop smoking and drinking. She returns to London where she receives another diagnosis, lupus. Now, this makes her recovery even more difficult uh, just because, you know, it has a lot of side effects um, as well. Um, In the winter of 1988, she's back at St. John's. Uh, This time she gets no contact from Frank. She openly blames his goddamn jealous wife, Barbara. He does send $50,000 to the hospital to pay for her, making sure she gets the best treatment, however. But she really wishes she had his personal support more. She doesn't need the money. Uh, She has money. Uh, so the loss of this friendship is just really sad for her. Um, in one of the last phone calls they have together, he says to her, I love you, baby. It stinks getting old. Uh, even the tabloids kind of get in on this. Headlines start appearing like Sinatra missing from bedside of stricken ex Ava. Bappy wants her to stay in LA, convinced that the damp and foggy weather in London is what keeps causing this pneumonia to come back. But Ava stubbornly doesn't care. She has a her bank account is dwindling, so she's like, I have to sell my jewels or agree to write a memoir. So she chooses the book. Now, she hires a man named Peter Evans, who is one of the authors of the books I referenced earlier. Uh, she chooses him to be her ghostwriter. They began meeting in London. This book is very good. If you want to read real conversations between Ava and him, uh, it's very interesting. This collaboration ends for some unknown reason. There is a rumor that Frank had a beef with the writer, so Ava drops him. She goes on to write with another ghostwriter, but her book, which I referenced at the beginning as well, is not very good. She leaves out all the juicy stuff. She doesn't really go into depth in anything. Um, So in October of 1989, she does end up finally selling some of her jewels. Now, people are very worried about her now. She has gained weight from the steroids that treat side effects of lupus. She's depressed. She's facing another winter in London. So she's not being very active. She can't get out of the house. And they really want to get her back in LA, even sending a private jet to fly her back, but she refuses to get on. She contacts Peter Evans at some point, asking him about Exit, which is an organization that helps terminally ill people and their life. Uh, Nothing goes forward with that. She does end up catching pneumonia again, however, on the morning of January 25th, 1990, Carmen, her uh, maid or assistant or uh, companion, brings her a tray with breakfast. Uh, When she returns to get the tray later, Ava says to Carmen, I'm tired, and those are her last words. So tributes start rolling in immediately, and everyone is seeking comments from her three famous exes. Mickey Rooney says his heart is broken uh, by the loss of his first love, and the beauty and magic of Ava will be with us forever. Artie Shaw initially refuses to comment, but after a few months decides to publicly be a dick. (laughs) He says, 
What are you going to say about something that represents a part of your past you don't even recognize anymore? I don't even know who she is. She ruined her life. She killed herself by drinking and smoking and carrying on. Jesus. He is like a monster. <laughs> like I, It's like unbelievable to me that someone could exist like that and not have any shame about appearing that way. Like... Like at all? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's bad enough to be that way, but you don't even know not to like show people that side. It's crazy to me how publicly awful he's willing to be. I mean, I guess whatever. Uh, So Sinatra obviously also uh, makes a comment. He says Ava was a great lady and her loss is very painful. And when he heard the news of her death, uh, his daughter Tina was with him. She said his eyes filled with tears. He turned red with anguish and cried out, why wasn't I there for her? Why wasn't I there helping her? His daughter said that he then went into a room and sat alone all night until the next day when he finally spoke, he could not raise his voice more than a whisper. She was buried by her parents and Carmen, uh, took her last dog, Morgan, and was charged with caring for her. She is offered work with Gregory Peck and his wife, who allow her to bring the dog with her to America. When this dog eventually dies, it is buried in Gregory Peck's backyard with a grave marker reading Morgan Gardner Vargas. I know. (laughs) But perhaps Ava eulogized herself best. She said with uh, in an interview with um, Peter Evans, you can sum up my life in a sentence, honey. She made movies, she made out, and she made a mess of her life, but she never made jam. <laughs> What's jam? <laughs> like she wasn't a housewife. Like she didn't oh, make oh, jam. Oh, jam. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, well. I mean, I want to make jams. So. <laughs> I think that's cool, but I get her sentiment. Like, I like making jam, but I think that's a cute eulogy for It's yourself. cute. I mean, we get it doesn't mean jam literally, but it's just like she wasn't a homemaker. Like which is fine too. Like a lot of people like that. Yeah. But that's her eulogy of herself. She didn't want that life. Yeah. So, she didn't do so it. So, she didn't make jam. Look, <laughs> not everyone wants to make jam. I'm happy. Well, and you know, when it's 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 one thing for us to want to do that stuff. Back back then, that was what you were expected to do. Right. And that's a whole different thing. Uh, so yeah, that's our episodes on Ava Gardner. Wow, that was great, Desi. Big undertaking this month. It's I, always unexpected though, because I didn't know it was going to be this long. Remember when I thought that my Titanic was going to be only two parts, and then it was yeah. four parts? Was it four? Yes, <laughs> it was four parts. The same thing. I mean, I think I wouldn't do it if I knew. I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll do that another time. Yeah. So it works out because it's like it's harder to take those. Like with the Howard Hughes, it's like yeah. scarier if you know it's going to be long. I think when people sometimes uh, email us, they're like, "Have you ever thought about doing this episode?" It's like, yes, we have thought about all of the episodes. There's just reasons we haven't covered whether or not we can get the research material in time or whether or not we... Well, it's also sometimes just... Some of them are too adept, in-depth, but also, also they span a lot of different areas or they branch off into other things that you feel like, do I have to cover that too now? Kind of like the Bugsy Siegel. We, we cut, you, you cut it off. Oh my God. Because it could have branched off into a million other episodes, but those just have to be their own thing at some point. Yeah. So it's, there's, we're going to, we're going to get to it all. We promise. Yeah. We got a lot of years we, ahead of us. We have, <laughs> we have lots of years of being dumb bitch podcasters together. Yeah. So it just, we, there's a method to our madness. Anyway, that being said, great episode, three-part episode, Desi. We're going to record our after show right now. Which will be up on Patreon. That'll be up on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And we will see you all for the mini episode in a couple days. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.